Hello Digital Health Unplugged listeners, it's Andrea here. We just wanted to drop you a quick note to say that while coronavirus continues and we are all now working from home, we have begun recording the podcast remotely as we didn't want you to miss out. So please bear with us while we work out some teething issues, particularly with audio, as sometimes our Wi-Fi just didn't want to play ball. Now, on with the podcast. Welcome to Digital Health Unplugged, the only podcast to listen to for all of your digital health care news. Today's podcast will be focusing on the use of digital tools to manage pressures on the NHS, the importance of electronic patient records and access to real-time patient data, and upskilling the workforce to become digital ready. I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and joining me today is Gary McCord, Chief Strategy Officer for IT supplier Servalec. Hi. Dr. Nick Andreo, Co-Founder of Locum's Nest an app that connects clinicians to bank workers in hospitals who need extra staff. Hello. And Dr. Harpreet Sood, board member for Health Education England and a GP at University College London Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. So all of what we are going to be talking about today seems particularly highlighted as the coronavirus outbreak continues, especially as the NHS looks towards fast-tracking digital tools to bolster its response to the virus, as well as reducing face-to-face appointments. For those who haven't been following the news on our website, A myriad of updates are coming through every day on the importance of digital tools in this situation. NHS England has fast-tracked a tender for the provision of GP video consultations, and there are a number of other programmes underway to help healthcare professionals cope with the unprecedented demand they're facing. We are going to have to talk about coronavirus today, as it's the biggest news story at the moment, but I promise we will look at other topics as well, as I'm sure that many of you, like me, are desperate for a bit of relief from the topic. So let's start by talking about the use of digital tools to manage pressures on the NHS. This is definitely a question for everyone, but Gary and Nick, you're providing the NHS with these tools. What do suppliers like yourselves need to be doing to help the NHS cope a bit better under pressure? Uh, <clears throat> if I can go first, I think what we're, what we're seeing is a, is a demand for uh, further mobilisation and interoperability between systems. So we're definitely seeing people wanting to mobilise as, as they're obviously people at the front line uh, dealing with patients, but others are sort of in the back office, still need to do that work and still need to be able to connect to their systems. So remote working and also in some of our areas, we've seen the uh, a request for video conferencing. And uh, again, interoperability, accessing data, being able to see information quickly, you know, to, to support the cause. Yeah, and and from from our perspective, I think you're you're right in in asking this question, Andrea. It's it's it, you know, it's a crisis of this scale requires every single part of the service to work together, um, not just the public service and not just people. So the providers such as ourselves. Um, and uh, what should we be doing as providers? I think I think the the answer to our strategy over the past few weeks was what's the right thing to do rather than what's the right thing to do for the company, um, because they are quite different at this at this uh, um, in this scenario. So, digital tool providers should definitely act responsibly ask themselves what's the right thing to do. Um, and to Gary's point, 
make sure we we uh, put all our resources into supporting remote deployment of our technologies. Yes, we have a solution that, of course, is going to help the NHS in this situation. Like in our case, we 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 uh, help. Uh, the NHS find clinicians to cover those shifts and work them. But at the same time, it, it cannot function unless it's deployed as a piece of software within those hospitals. And so we've done a lot of work, for example, to try and uh, automate deployment, help organizations and that the, the, the back office staff that are managing software to be trained remotely, for example, um, and 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 uh, almost like as a conclusion, I think it's important for us to think fast, make decisions as providers quickly, and do the right thing. The point of doing the right thing as well, I find extremely interesting because obviously at the moment everything is fast tracked and everything is you know very tense, and we're working extremely hard to make sure that these digital tools are available. Um, but this should be looked at as a you know whole scale thing really shouldn't it like it's not just now that we need these tools it's going to be in the future um do you think this has sort of prompted us to be a little bit more digitally prepared than we actually were yeah i, I think that it, i think it's definitely accelerated the uh, the uptake and and sort of demand for uh, digital working you know i think that this will do that and, and people now are adapting we're all adapting we we are ourselves have had some uh, sort of issues ourselves around this earlier in this in this call so we're all adapting to a new world i think just for us and our you know the people in the uh, nhs and and social care which is the other part of uh, our sort of provision of software they're all adapting but at the same time having to continue to provide the service in a, in a very challenging world so i think uh, anything that we can do we, we we're setting up internal sessions every day to talk about how what the, what what do the customers need what can we do to help that what can ourselves and our partners uh look at so we've got some some tools that do one particular uh function and what we are doing is then looking how we can adapt that to support uh, both patients and staff in those organizations when they when they need access to these digital tools harpreet i'd like to bring you in on this one here actually um, do you think we were using digital tools enough um, before coronavirus sort of before the outbreak happened, or has this reminded us that we do need to be focusing on digital health? So I, I think it's a very good point. So you know, the honest answer is that you know we were seeing um, the, the rise of digital tools being used across the NHS, in, not only in primary care but also secondary care and beyond that in community and, and social care. But I guess what the COVID-19 has done is really obviously accelerated and sped up that process. But it's also helped us understand how, when we have certain needs and, and problems in the system, where technology can play a really useful role. Now, what we're actually seeing is that we've gone from one extreme to a completely different uh, other side of the extreme is that, you know, we're using full set of technology tools, especially in the clinical setting. So where I am as a primary care physician, for example, I've gone from, you know, seeing 30 to 35 patients from a face-to-face -face perspective two and a half weeks ago to 30 to 35 telephone calls and video calls on a daily basis. Now, that is a complete reversal of how we practice primary care, and, and that's spread across the country as far as we know. But that also then provides 
new opportunities that we're seeing to the way we communicate, not only amongst colleagues, but also amongst uh, how we communicate with our patients. So again, you know, we're utilizing tools now more effectively because of the urgency and the problems that we're seeing. The challenge would obviously be moving beyond this you know, in terms of some of the positive legacy that we can think about when we move through this uh, crisis is, will some of this stick? And the honest answer is, I think it will, uh, but we'll get a fine balance between online and offline. You know, I think the hardest thing in any of this digital world in, in terms of our transformation is that changing behaviors. You know, how do we get people to change behaviors and shift the way they do things and think about things in a different way? But what, what this opportunity will allow us to do over the next six to nine months is to develop some effective use cases, really understand what technology can really help, and, and develop a good repository of information that will allow us to then utilize this on a more day-to-day -day basis because we'll have a good evaluation, we'll have good use of use cases, and we'll also have a good understanding of how people's behaviors have changed in order to make a difference with the use of technology. Yeah, um, I just want to touch on the changing of behaviors and you know people's attitudes yeah. towards technology for a bit um because something that's been noted in, in several uh, several reports sorry including the top all of you last year um is the need to create a digitally prepared workforce and you're obviously working with health education england um so was the workforce digitally prepared enough for this and you know what do we need to do in order to upskill them in the future no it's a good question and you know this is something that again uh, with my health education England on is being discussed at the moment. But if I can answer it in two ways, firstly, in my clinical hat. So, you know, now when I practice, for example, like I was saying, a lot of it is done remotely. And, you know, that's a completely different way of consulting with our patients than it was two and a half weeks ago. So there's a lot that still needs to be done in terms of even educating the workforce in general, in terms of what makes a good remote consultation, what are the, some of the things we can do effectively on there, and what else do we need to think about? So, you know, thinking about observations, thinking about blood pressure, monitoring, thinking about the right questions to ask. These all play a different part now when we do things remotely to when we used to do things face to face. So getting that balance right is, is really important. If you look at the trainees, for example, both doctors and nurses and other, other health professionals, a lot of them now will have to utilize virtual platforms to get education and training because a lot of them, you know, won't be allowed in certain settings won't necessarily get that patient contact and we'll have to think about how does that change the way we do things uh, and in particular medical schools you know medical schools nursing schools we're also seeing a lot of them now shift to virtual platforms to help deliver content to think and engage in a virtual way so is there a role um, that suppliers need to be playing in this as well how how do you all work together in order to make sure that a the technology is easy to use and b staff are ready to use it yeah, so a very good question. I think it was um, a point I wanted to raise as well. Is, uh, of course, there's a, a, a great role that universities can play, health education in England and, and all the uh, education bodies, but actually uh, the suppliers need to develop software that is easy to use for all age groups. Uh, let's not forget uh, a young medical student that's about to graduate is in their 20s and a consultant uh, is uh, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, in the 60s perhaps. So uh, technology needs to be easy to use for all age groups. And also, it, it sh I think we touched upon it earlier, but it should be easy to deploy. If, for example, we provide uh, software solutions for the NHS, but it takes six to 12 months to deploy, then they're, they're really not fit for purpose. Um, and I think crises such as these remind us that we need to provide and, and develop lightweight software that can be deployed within days uh, and people should know how to use them without much training. Um, um, and, and it should do as a digital solution what it is meant to do uh, and it should do it well and nothing more than that uh, at this stage. Yeah, I would agree. I think the uh, one of the key things to understand is the use cases and the use cases that we're supporting. So to make sure that uh, as suppliers, we, we understand the challenge and the task that's being, uh, you know, undertaken through the software. So if we can deploy uh, mobile software, you know, think all our software that we at ServerLake is web-based, so it's very easy to deploy and very easy to access and doesn't involve going around and setting up lots of computers. But I think the actual tools themselves to make sure that we understand the task, we've done the piece of work around what the person needs to achieve. And increasingly that, that need uh, it revolves around pulling in data and information from other systems and other areas as well so they can, they've got that data at their fingertips. So absolutely, it's us, us making easy to access, easy to deploy, uh, software that, that meets the needs of the you know the, the particular task that's been taken and, and 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 obviously to be able to do that in a mobile world as well where people are moving around i think the current situation is is made we everyone's reacting we are certain react we're reacting to requests that are coming in from our uh, customers because they're faced with like we heard earlier we they're faced with an unprecedented situation where they've not had to do this before and it's not an option to say should i use that tool or should i not there's only one option now for us all in all our working lives at the moment there's only the digital world i think so we're trying to be quite nimble and quite agile and uh, pragmatic and sort of adapt the things we've already got luckily we've been able to do that with lots of the things and uh some provide additional digital tools that will help during this uh, COVID-19 uh, outbreak. Mm. So I think one of the tools that's been highlighted as being quite useful, and I think we've been talking about this for years now, um, is the importance of electronic patient records and access to patient data. Um, so Gary, one of Servalex products is its Rio EPR, um, which is giving mm -hmm. clinicians a single view of patient data. Most hospitals yeah. now have an EPR. Um, obviously, there are a few exceptions, but most obviously do. Um, yeah. What role does an EPR have to play in managing the pressures on the NHS, both for the workforce and also for patients? I think, well, I think to go back to the point around being able to access information, you know, remotely and, and digitally, I think because of Rio itself is a, a very comprehensive enterprise-wide solution, so it collects information in a, in a sort of web-based format very easy to use, very simple uh, to sort of for new people to pick up. So, for example, you have uh, bank staff, and at the moment you've got lots of temporary staff can easily pick up the application. I think the breadth of data that we share within the application and we record uh, helps 
to ensure that across a spread of different services, you can actually access the information. We also have our uh, Connexus platform, which is an interoperability platform that supports all our systems. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we can now sort of talk to national systems and pull in information and viewers from different areas so that we can actually see a more uh, regional perspective on a person rather than just in a particular uh, one system. I'm glad you mentioned bank workers as well, because that was going to be my next question uh, for Nick. Um, it might be a silly question, um, but how does an EPR benefit bank workers? Because um, obviously, if you're coming from different hospitals and you're, you know, working across different areas, you're not used to sort of your regular patients. You might not know who everyone is. I'm assuming access to this patient data is vital when you're just being placed in another hospital. Absolutely. Um, uh, both Garin and you, Andrea, are absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, EPR helps provide shareable, accessible, up-to-date information about patients, uh, and it's helpful most of the time. But now, in this situation, in the health crisis that we are at, and uh, staff are being asked to be, you know, deployed in in, in new hospitals, in new sites, it's, it's you know, EPR is vital uh, for continuity of care. Um, and I, I can't stress it enough. Yeah, and I guess that leads me on to the next question of what do hospitals that don't have an EPR need to be doing to get themselves ready so that they can go live with one? It's, it's the, all the things that Gary said is, is, is make sure that it is easily deployed and people are trained uh, quickly on it and uh, ultimately uh, manage the change management in all of these. People are used to, uh, maybe used to paper, uh, but the transition to EPR is vital. Uh, decisions shouldn't be put off because of COVID-19. If anything, they should be accelerated. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure Gary can add a lot more than I can. Yeah, yeah. I, <clears throat> I agree. I think we, we I think organisations that aren't that would be the ones that aren't currently have you know, don't have access to a, a modern EPR that is is sort of use web-based tools that shares information that can be part of a, all systems now are part of a bigger ecosystem and interoperability around that system so so is uh, very important so when using a system if you've got to ask uh, make a request and make a referral to another service that needs to be able to be part of that system that you're using so understanding the whole use cases around a particular uh, service and then what they need to do and what they have to do now and then making sure that that's modernized so that going forward where I've got to order a test or uh, you know sort of ask for a referral to a particular service I should be able to do that from where I am within the application using modern interoperability tools and pull information in and if I want to see a view of that person's information that is recorded from a wider area I should be able to see that within and that should be something I can see from within the EPR. I shouldn't have to use multiple systems and be uh, ringing around or asking people to sort of email information or you know, on the phone. I, I think everything needs to be at, the, at your fingertips. Very easy to use, very, uh, very mobile, offering the ability to use these, this software on mobile devices, you know, any platform sort of device independence is a, is a, a key element to this. 
Yeah, and I think one thing I would like to add actually is, and, and I think this has been touched upon, is the whole usability aspect of it. So, you know, use case is important, training is important, etc. But, you know, usability of software is also critically important because, you know, we are seeing a tremendous amount of uh, load and burden being put on clinicians and the workforce that are using these tools. And, you know, and some of the newer ones that are being developed are very easy to use and actually do do what it says on the tin, essentially. And so we need to be mindful of that. You know, if, if time is a factor and we want people to change behaviours and use the technology that's being put forward now, usability needs to be a key aspect of it. And, you know, software companies and technology companies need to focus on the user experience and user-centric design, which will make it a effective uh, uptake of, of their particular technology. Yeah, I would echo that as well. I think the user experience is a key thing for us at Serverlet. We do make sure that we sort of ensure that we're aware of a day in the life of that person who's going to use that software because they need only the features that, you know, the key features to do with a job, but they need to be able to, those features need to be there at their fingertips, easy to see, information needs to be uh, signposted and easy to access and uh, so the, the user interface and user experience of, an, of that application is equally as important as any features that you might sort of build in there because uh, a, a poorly designed application is, is not going to get the uptake that people that you want from people. They're only going to use things that help them to do the job. You know, if, if not, people avoid the system. Exactly, and, that, and that's what we're seeing, for example, with the tools that we use, the ones that are easy to use in order to communicate with patients, whether it's SMS service, messaging services, or even a very simple you know, two- or three-step design to help launch a video consult are the ones that are being virally uh, scaled up quickly because you don't have to go through the clunky installation process or clunky way of, of utilizing something. And actually, it's, it's fascinating to see some of um, more experienced colleagues uh, who, who work in such a setting where for them it felt a very arduous task to use technology, how quickly they're adopting this now and making this part of their main uh, main work stream because they re A, they're realizing how straightforward it can be to do this and B, also realizing the benefits of it. So the, the better we are with that, the better we are with the experience, the more likely we will see a lot of these technologies stick post uh, post the crisis we're at the moment. Uh, but there's other factors that will also need to be played in. But the usability is absolutely key. So something else that's proven quite vital at the moment is access to data. It's telling us where patients are affected and how many people have been diagnosed with coronavirus. Um, and it's basically being used to inform the NHS on all of its decisions regarding the response to the virus. Has this highlighted the importance of real-time access to patient data? Um, and should it have taken an outbreak like this for the NHS to realise that this access to data is vital? So maybe I can, I can kick off with that. Then I guess, you know, one of the things that this was uh, published recently, what we're seeing is that the um, NHS is, is working now with some of the uh, technology companies, including Palantir and Microsoft and Google, for example, to develop real-time dashboards to help us get a better understanding um, of, of really, you know, the resources available, where the capacity is, and how we can allocate uh, even workforce in appropriate settings. So again, the great example of this is that it's, it's allowing us to solve a unique problem, but a genuine problem that is uh, obviously linked to this crisis, uh, but at the same time will have a, a longer term benefit to the system in general. Um, but I think the, the challenge is that um, 
previously, you know, is that all the different bodies that may have been involved or may be responsible for bringing all this data have all had their own competing priorities and strategies. But what this is allowing us is that bringing a new dynamic of working where actually everyone is collaborating together to help solve some of these big problems. And that is something that I would like to see move as part of some of the positive legacy that comes out of, uh, again, this uh, crisis that we're facing, is that how can we collaborate to solve these big items? Um, and, you know, I know industry wants to do this. I know certain aspects of the NHS wants to do this. And I know that certain aspects of the government wants to do this. But again, it's bringing them all together to help us solve some of these problems. And there are some good examples of that. And we're hoping that we can get more examples coming forward. Yeah. I mean, Nick and Harpreet, you're both clinicians. How much easier is your job when you have access to the data that you need? Um, a hundred percent more, more, more um, easier, actually. So I, what imagine a situation, right, where you're um, uh, a HR manager of an organization and you need to or a, a medical director or in charge of a department as a clinician or a rotor coordinator and you need to decide what your needs are next week or even today. Right. So what you need is access to that big data that Harpreet was uh, talking about, the Public Health England dashboard, for example, of the cases in your area. But you also want to make sure that you superimpose it with the uh, location of your hospital. So, you know, I'm about to I'm about two weeks away from my ITU department filling up, for example. And then what what we've done for example is said okay let's let, let, let's link that data with our own data what the COVID-19 needs are of each department and see what the shortage or what the demand for shifts is so we can promote it to clinicians and get them filled as soon as possible and so we we are in a situation currently with our uh, partner organizations that we're working with uh, where all the COVID-19 specific shifts are oversubscribed by bank staff and that's great because uh, we reached a situation where demand could have been and was predicted and actions were taken in advance and now they're fully staffed. And that's as a clinician, uh, it, 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 it's invaluable. You can do your work uh, 100% better than you could have if you were um, on a ward that was understaffed. And I would echo that to what Nicholas said, but I think as well as having information it's also important we have the right information because you know at the moment what we're also seeing is that we're overloaded with lots of information there's lots of different data sources you know from lots of different settings and and we haven't even got to the point where patients are sending their own data in so if we start moving into remote monitoring which you know some of the times now may give us an opportunity to do so we need to be clear with with all this information coming as clinicians we don't want to be overloaded because that then poses even more risk because otherwise if you miss certain things, you know, it becomes uh, quite dangerous potentially. So even though having access to information is important, it has to be the right information. And that's where, again, there might be opportunities for technology companies to help, you know, break some of that down, help risk stratify that information, help put it in a way that's understandable, usable um, in terms of whether it's dashboards or whether it's terms of just being 
uh, summarize, I think there's lots of opportunities on that front. So the right information at the right time is critical rather than just having lots of information. Gary, do you want to tell us a little bit about how Serverlek is using patient data to make clinicians' lives a bit easier? Yeah, I think the point made earlier was, was very key in that uh, you can be overloaded by data and you really just need sort of the specific pieces of information that are supporting you in, in the task you need to get done. I think the uh, information and access to information comes in various levels. There's the idea of viewing information, but that's where you know, you've got a big central bucket of information. You can see that broader view if you need that picture, but then there's the ability to move information quickly between systems. So we, we're a part of the, uh, we were working on it anyway, but as part of the crisis, we're fast tracking our ADW, so transfer of care uh, solution, which means that from acute, you can, you can move information quickly to the uh, social care system so that you can move people quickly from acute into social care and get that information sort of uh, there <clears throat> rather than going the uh, sort of long-winded route. So I think it's about having not just being able to see lots of information and views, but it's having that information pushed and pulled between systems and being there and available to support decision-making, uh, rapid decision-making at the moment in the, in the current situation. So it's, it's, it's definitely uh, a case of not just being about one system, it's about an ecosystem of systems and all the suppliers. And, and we are sort of like an absolutely... Uh, so very very keen to make sure that we are seen to be an interoperable and interoperability is at the front of our sort of thinking around this because information is recorded in one system but it's often a, a combination of, of information that is required by uh, by clinicians to make decisions and they need to be able to access that uh, from where they are, you know, instantly and, and sort of all different types of uh, devices and uh, platforms. Yeah, I mean, being interoperable is the buzzword, isn't it? Um, and it's interesting you mentioned that it's not just Serverlek that needs to be doing this, it's all suppliers. Um, so I guess, you know, where, what do suppliers need to be doing to make sure that they are, you know, at the forefront of making sure their systems are interoperable and are able to use patient data? For me, I think what, what's, what we're doing is making sure that we, we built our Connexus, uh, it's a cloud-based API platform, which is, sorry to sound technical, but it's, it's, it allows lots of systems to interact with our systems without sort of complex connectivity. And because we've, uh, as an organization, this is, a, this is a key thing for us in terms of we've invested a lot of money in popularity. I think you have to move away from sort of insular thinking and it's just about how we can get more people to use our system i think what it is 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 taking the a broader view and saying we operate in a in a sort of an interconnected world lots of the services and, and you know the, the guys on the call they're, they're connected to lots of different services in different care settings and that's how systems are and it's you know what we need to do as suppliers is make sure that we have we open up the data we make sure that we, there's an easy way for other systems to access the information that's stored within our own platforms through uh, easy to access means you know and, and that we work together and collaborate with other suppliers and and make sure that we we make it you know we don't just talk about it, we actually achieve these things and and through national systems as well so we support 
things like NEMS and LEMS and other other national initiatives that have been rolled out by NHSD where we can all make sure that our information flows from our system and to other systems. So here's the million dollar question of the moment, I think. Um, has the coronavirus outbreak highlighted any gaps when it comes to technology that we need to improve on? <laughs> it has highlighted many, many things, uh, mainly um, uh, really around how brilliant and uh, essential the NHS is and how well lucky we are to have it and have the colleagues on the front line uh, working over and above uh, what they're required to do to keep the nation healthy. Um, it, of course, over the past two, three weeks, we've seen an, an enormous amount of innovation being adopted, which is great to see. And to Harpreet's point, uh, we hope that it, 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 it sticks up, you know, still after the um, uh, crisis as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's highlighted all the things we discussed um, previously, the fact that there needs to be more technology, more accessible technology, uh, more interoperable technology uh, that uh, um, uh, all the systems worked for, for all the systems to work together uh, for the benefit of the NHS ultimately. So I, I think one of the interesting observations is this, is this, that, you know, we need to get the balance right between being online, but also being offline. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the physical aspects of healthcare is, is still fundamentally hugely important. And, and that's what we're seeing with the brilliance of all our hospitals across the country, but also our workforce, that people need, still need doctors, they still need nurses, we still need staff, we still need people. So, you know, technology plays a really important part. And the question is, how do we get that balance right? And I think over the next six, seven, nine months, that's going to be the interesting observation to see what is a nice balance between being online and being offline. And, you know, the, the things like the dashboards that we're developing, the things like what Nicholas is talking about with, you know, e-rostering solutions and real-time uh, solutions, the things that we're talking about with, you know, having telephone, email, or even a virtual consult is just examples of how things can be done online but we still need the offline physical presence because people still need care. They still need to be looked after. And that's the balance that we need to get right. And that also will then impact on training, education, because there will be some seismic shifts in what the future skills will need. And we will learn from this experience and take on board to do things differently as we move forward. Yeah. I think we, what we are seeing is, is the, uh, <clears throat> you know, necessity being the mother of all invention and certain as people are working and need to work in a in a in a way certainly through the coronavirus period we've, we've seen uh, emergency emergency departments uh, uh we've got a system in the hospital in portsmouth and they've done a had to do a redesign of their uh, tracking list for ed and we managed to do that for them in 48 hours so there's a uh, th th what's emerging is lots of requirements that are coming out of this situation that I think those requirements will then stay in place beyond, uh, you know, COVID-19. I think what we'll find after that is people change their ways of working and, and the, the tools and uh, adaptions that are made in, in this area will, will, will form part of the way they work going forward. So I think we are we are seeing where there are some gaps, but those things are, uh, solutions are being found, sometimes temporary solutions, and then others will, when, we, when there's more time, I think more 
mature solutions we've put in place. Yeah, I agree. And I think the next few months are going to be extremely interesting to see, you know, how the NHS changes in response to you know, the current outbreak that we've been facing. So Gary, Nick and Harpreet, thank you so much for joining us today. And for everyone listening at home, don't forget that Digital Health Unplugged is published every fortnight. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes, and we also publish a new story along with it. So don't forget to give us a follow on any of those platforms to keep up to date with the latest news. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.